Hey, before we jump into today's episode, I have a question for you. Do you dream of inspiring others within the beauty and wellness industry? Have you ever considered becoming a teacher or trainer, but felt unsure about where to start? Well, you're in the right place. I'm here to introduce you to the SIBTAC Level 3 Award and the Level 4 Certificate in Education and Training, specifically designed for beauty and wellness professionals just like you. So whether you're a therapist or a coach or a manager, this qualification is the first step towards becoming a transformative educator in the industry. But here's the best part. We offer online teaching qualifications so you can learn and grow at your own pace right from the comfort of your home. For more information, check out the link in the show notes. Now, let's get into today's episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of I'm No Rookie. I'm your host, Ayo. And today we have an inspiring guest that's going to be talking about her journey, her career that spanned over 15 years and also about her business. I'm really excited to introduce you to her so she can tell you about her journey, which I think is going to inspire a lot of you. So please welcome Sandra Petropa, Senior Executive in a New York company and the founder of My Curl ID. So hi, Sandra. Thank you so much for being with us. How are you today? Hi, hi. Thank you, Ayo. Thank you for having me. Uh, I'm great. Thank you so much for uh, the opportunity to be here. And we're saying just before we press record, we were just reminiscing on how we knew each other because myself and Sandra, we work for the same organization, but we were in different parts. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> so we kind of knew of each other and we had like a very brief encounter. And although this was years ago, we still kept in touch. So things happen, yeah. right? Yeah, you know, the power of social media and LinkedIn, there are very, a lot of positive things that came with that. Exactly. So this is why I think it's so important, even people that are listening, that are like, oh, I hate social media. It's one of those evil things. It's I think so there's so many great benefits. Yeah. There's benefits from it. So you take from it what you want kind of with it. So, okay. So to kickstart or kick things off, could you tell our listeners a bit more about your journey within the industries that you've worked and also working across different countries and what inspired you um, to do that? Yeah, no, of course, no problem at all. So as you're saying, you know, my name is Sandra. I am French Burkinabé. Uh, Burkina Faso is a small country on the west coast of Africa, um, on the west side of Africa, it's not actually on the coast. Uh, So I was born in Paris and I I grew up in France and where I gained most of my education. And to be honest with you, for a very long time, I knew I wanted to work in beauty. Um, But it wasn't really something when I I was younger that I believe I could pursue, uh, you know, higher education in. Uh, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of uh, immigrant children coming from Africa or many other countries, there is an expectation of higher education and, you know, what you're going to do when you grow up, right? So, of course, my eyes were set on, like, doing, like, scientific type of study. Um, and I was like, okay, maybe I go into medicine and these kind of things. But, of course, light went on. I was a teenager. And uh, I was actually very good at chemistry and biology. These were my favorite topics when it comes to science. 
And over time, I did realize that and, and covered that, you know, cosmetic science was a natural degree that you could actually carry all the way to master level in, uh, in France, which is not the case in many countries, by the way. So I was like, oh, that's something very interesting for me to explore. So that's what I did. I focused on chemistry and then cosmetic science. And then later on, I specialized myself in marketing as well at a master degree. So I have a dual master degree in cosmetic science and marketing. So from the get-go, I've worked in beauty and I've been working in beauty my entire career. But even though when you work in beauty, mostly when people talk about changing career and pivoting, it's always associated with like very drastic move, like me working in beauty and wanting to be a lawyer. And of course, that's a, that's a very big change. But sometimes we forget the subtleties of what happened when you are in a given industry and to be able to move across the different functions, the different opportunities, but also, as you say, the different countries. And I started my career in France. At the time, my level of English was really not good. I was barely making it to like what is considered acceptable at school. Languages was just not my thing. And I've always had an aspiration for international career development. At some point, I needed to learn to speak English. I set my eyes on going to London, which was the closest country I could think of to do that with like no restriction, no visa issue. At the time, we could travel, you know, how we wanted yeah, back in the days. Um, but ultimately, I wanted to be able to arrive in London with some level of experience. And I think when we when we talk about career change and development, the preparation is key. It's also very, you know, as we know, it's very hard to always identify what you want to do, like in five years, 10 years, 15 years. But I think the most important is to give yourself an objective, at least within the next two or three years. And yes, nobody, you know, things are going to change so much over time. Um, but give you uh, yourself an objective for two or three years and then start working from there. My objective was clear. I needed to learn to speak English and I wanted an international career. I was, I had never set foot in England before I moved there. I didn't know the country. I actually didn't even know anybody there. I had few connections of friends of friends of friends. Yeah, so, so that alone, and of course it was a, a, a large learning curve for me from a personal perspective, most importantly, where I had to learn to speak English, but I also had to learn to live in a different country and with people coming from very different backgrounds from mine. And, uh, but one thing I didn't want to do was to get there with no formal professional experience. I had done a lot of internships, but again, I don't know how internships are valued when you move into another country. So I started my career in France. I finished university and I gave myself one year to work in France. And at the end of that one year, whatever happened, I will go. And it's very interesting, as I said, specifically coming from, uh, you know, a child of immigrants from African background, when you're in France and someone offer you a permanent contract, the idea of saying no to that sent my whole family into like, what are you talking about? How did you persuade them? I just explained that I had bigger career aspirations. And it's not to say that I could not have achieved them staying where I was, but I knew for a fact that with the level of English that I had, I could never be, I would never be able to access the doors that I wanted to open. And yeah. it, it is, you know, and 
I had over time built a level of trust, you know, within my family. They, they gave me the opportunity to do so. And most importantly, you know, I did it on my own dime and on my own time, right? So it's not as if I moved to London and, and asked for a check at the same time. Mm. I worked in France um, for one year. I saved the money that I needed to save to be able to support myself when I arrived in London for like three to four months. And then I went. So I had a plan for myself. I had a plan that I was able to explain to, to my family, say, don't worry. And most importantly, when you make changes and it's and it can be very scary, but it's important to remember yourself. First, it is your decision. So you control that. And second, it doesn't have to be a forever commitment. If things didn't work out in London, well, I would have gone back to France. You know, we need to, we need, we need to kind of think about the value of the experience that we are seeking and how they would play out if it didn't work out and if you had to come back. And for me, that was more than enough to be able to, to just go. You know what I love about that? Ben, one of the major things for me this year was about trying things, right? Mm -hmm. My phrase I've, I've been saying in the last couple of weeks, testing, testing, testing. And like, if it doesn't work, you just go back to the drawing board. You know, there's mm -hmm. always options. I think some people, sometimes we can be so fearful of... Yeah. Being, being uncomfortable, trying something new. And then there's that idea, what if it doesn't happen, work out? What if, what will my family think? So I love that you're like, you know what? I'm going to go for it. If it doesn't work out, I'll be back. And yeah, because a lot of people, you know, look at, focus on like, you know, all the negative scenarios. First, you need to focus on the positive scenarios. Like, what if it is work? What if it is going to work out? You know, what will be the benefit? Nobody. And then, yes, you can prepare. As I said, preparedness is very important. Prepare of like, okay, what am I going to do if it doesn't work out? As long as these options are, you know, are available to you, then you know that somewhere there is a plan B. It's not mm -hmm. the plan, but there is something that you can fall back on. Yeah, plan B. Plan yeah. B is so important. <laughs> so what? How did um? So when you when you talk about your background and the education element, what directed you into marketing? Why did you choose marketing? Oh, okay. So that's very interesting. Is that uh, yeah? Thinking about wanting to work in beauty, I just wanted to make my own lipstick. And frankly, but I did that by the time I was you know in year maybe three or four at university, and I'm like, yeah. <laughs> not that much fun um so unfortunately yeah working in the lab the product development part of actually making the product wasn't something that i was aspiring to so ultimately i had to start thinking about okay what are the roles that are available within the industry and I've, i had done many internships one of them in a lab because it was part of the curriculum uh, my lab manager at the time, uh, Denise, she was a uh, head of product development at Docleo and Carita. I think within one week, she called me into her office and she's like, Sandra, yeah, I'm like, yes. And she's like, you and I know that you're not going to work in a lab going forward. And, and I was laughing and I looked at her, I'm like, I'm very aware, but I still need to finish my degree. So I'm going to be here for the next six months. <laughs> she's like, that's fine. You know, you do you, you do the best you can. And she gets, I mean, and I did good, but it, she could tell that it wasn't my, uh, my personality type, my passion, and then gave me the opportunity she gave me the opportunity to, you know, to, you have to network once you get there to talk to people about what is their job. And at the time, which was tricky, a lot of companies till now separate lab with marketing offices. 
So mm-hmm. if you work in a lab environment, you don't see people working in marketing and sales in all of these other functions that you don't really have access to. So, you know, you just have to make a request, you know, would I be able to go and spend a day at head office, you know, to see what people work and, you know, help me identify somebody that I can at least talk to. So it took me a while to kind of like work through like all the roles that were available. And ultimately, um, yeah, it seems to me like sales and marketing was more type of my my area I wanted to move into. How long was you then in in the UK within that role? And how long did you stay? So actually I moved to the UK um, determined to learn to speak English. I had given myself an objective of uh, at least one year, you know, to to master the language. And then after that, uh, let's see what happened. And so when I moved to the UK, I needed to find a job that will allow me to converse and to to be able to to practice, right? Otherwise, there's no one being there. And I didn't feel comfortable having this, like, you know, head office marketing job at the time. My level of English just did not allow to do that. I used what I knew, beauty, and I started working, uh, temping at beauty counters in department stores. So I worked across all the department stores, like the Boots and Selfridges and Harrods of the world, across many different brands, like the Chanel, the Lancome, um, you know, Giorgio Armani. So not only I could utilize my skill of knowledge of cosmetic science, which I love, you know, I was the one raising my hands in training, saying like, oh, I know about the ingredients. And, um, and also I've learned valuable direct consumer experience. For me specifically, when I make a decision that's going to have a big impact in my lifehood, I think about what am I going to gain from it that's going to help me to develop my personal and professional career. And I'm like, I could have worked in bars and restaurants and, you know, and go and have fun all night, or I could work at the beauty counter and add some valuable experience to my resume. So I did that for uh, nearly a year. And after maybe, you know, at that time, I felt comfortable applying to like more like office job type of marketing role. And I did. And I and I got a job very, very quickly. I spent uh, three years working on the B2B side of uh, beauty, meaning that I was actually selling ingredients to brands to develop products. And that's also a completely different side of the industry that a lot of people don't know about. I love I love that part. This is uh, I actually just applied for this type of role at the time because I was fascinated by ingredients. Although I didn't want to work in the lab, I was fascinated by what was in the product, how it worked, and how we translated that message into something that the consumer could uh, understand. Which connects so well with marketing. Yes. So that's it. That empowered you. I love that because I think just going back a little bit, one thing that I really liked about it is that you knew you were going to be leaving Paris and you were going to come to London. And instead of you just getting any job just so that you can get experience, you made sure all the experience that you were going to get for that year was connected to your education so when people are looking at your cv they don't go okay why did sandra do that job that's really random so and you've got the experience and the insights and the knowledge along the way even just Mm -hmm. exploring what the uk or london had so that's 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 really good advice for those that are thinking of them yeah and and i think from what you say it it seems like i've always had a defined career path but we need to remember when i started i want to work in beauty Mm. And there is, and again, there is so many directions that I could have taken. And 
not knowing that at the time I wasn't thinking, oh, I want to run a beauty company. I wasn't thinking, oh, I want to be the VP of X. I want to be a director of Y. Mm. So we don't always have that long-term vision. But as I said, just focus on the next two years and think about certain professional goals you want to achieve and certain personal goals you want to achieve. And transferable skills are crucial. So specifically when you want to, as we said, pivot into different aspect of your own industry or com somewhere completely different, you need to focus on the transferable skills. Mm -hmm. Because yes, if you work in beauty and you want to be uh, a, a doctor, unfortunately you have to go back to school, right? That's, that's, there's nothing else you, you can do. Mm -hmm. if, you want, if you work in beauty, but all of a sudden you want to work in the music industry, you don't have to go back to school. It's a function of identifying what skills you've learned that can be transferred into the new things that you want to have. And if the gap is too big, it's up to you to decide how you're going to educate yourself to fill that gap. And this is also something I did when I was in London. So altogether, I was in London for 12 years. So as I said, I started in B2B, working, selling like ingredients and formulation to brands like LMS, The Body Shop, The L'Oreal of the World. I decided... I wanted to work for brands. And again, you know, it can be easy to assume, well, you're already working beauty, so it's easy to make that move. It isn't that simple. Again, B2B sales and B2C sales and marketing come from very different angles. And, you know, a lot of people not, are not always willing to divert, you know, the experiences from the people that they recruit. We mm -hmm. see that more and more where people have an understanding of the value of different type of experiences. But back in the days, much more so in France, where it's virtually impossible to make that move, but a little bit also in London, it was a bit difficult. And um, I spoke to people, you know, people who have this kind of job at head office, you know, again, God knows what they do, but it just sounded, so, you know, sounded great. Uh, spend some time discussing with them, uh, what do you do and everything else and identify two things. One is that somebody said, well, all of your education is in France. When it comes to cosmetic science, it's highly valued and regarded because that's where everything happens. When it comes to marketing, although I had a master in marketing, then it becomes a bit of a function of what school did you go to? Mm -hmm. Whether I like it or not, if it's not a school that is... Um, well-known, well-identified, people can look at your degree and be like, mm, not too sure. So I was suggested, well, you may want to take another marketing degree from the UK school. I did that. When um, my first three years, when I had a job working uh, on B2B um, side of things, after a year and a half, I decided I'm going to do a marketing degree in the UK. So I took on like, you know, evening classes and learn online classes to deliver, to have a, a professional, professional diploma in marketing from a UK organization. So I did that on top of my job. I actually asked my job to sponsor me. So I wrote a whole proposal as to what will be the benefit for them, right? You cannot just do, I want you to pay for my education and off I go. So I wrote a proposal of the benefit from them. And fortunately, at the time, they declined. They said, we are not going to sponsor you, but we're happy to help you pay up front 
the fees to go to school and then, you know, we'll take the money out of your salary. So that alone is already, you know, was already uh, good for me because I didn't have the whatever it cost at the time to be able to mm. just pay upfront. And the school wasn't really offering, you know, payment plans that were suitable. So that, li- that little, you know, they could see my motivation. They could see that yeah. I was going to do it. They wanted to help me to develop my professional uh, career. Uh, so I did that. I got the degree. Uh, after that, I, uh, this is when I took my first career break before I move on to the next part of my uh, my professional life. I had a degree. I was like, okay, that's going to be a little bit easier. Started to apply for jobs and also realized that it wasn't that simple. Uh, mm. I had more job interviews, but when, he, when I would go to the job interviews, they always had candidates, as they say, that had experience that was a little bit closer to what they were looking for, where we already have somebody that worked at Unilever. We already have somebody that worked X, Y, and Z. I did the only thing, again, that I knew to do is ask myself how to fill the gap between what they're looking for and what I have. I decided to do an internship. at uh, So, again, and this is how I ended up at the organic pharmacy where we cross paths. At the mm-hmm. time, they were looking for an intern, marketing executive intern. And of course, it had a big impact on my financial situation. It was a paid internship, but of, it wasn't, you know, reaching the level of salaries at a full-time job. So I started working in department stores again at the weekend to complement my income. Uh, but it gave me the experience that I needed. And I'm not going to lie, I did the extension for six months. After that, I, I found a job within two to three weeks. So by the time I, yeah, I compiled my, all of my experiences, and as silly as it sounds, all people needed to see, apparently, is that I did work for a brand. You know what, it's not silly at all, because um, it's something, it's, it's so funny, it's fascinating, it's lovely to actually hear someone that recognised that, yes, they had the qualification, they know their stuff, but they know in the country that they're in, there's this skills or experience gap. And the thing that was um, affecting your employment, be able to get into those positions. And I think I've been saying to some of my students, because um, you know, I have an academy at the moment and we're offering education and training qualification. And some of them are coming from therapists to straight to get their mm. qualification. And I'm just being very realistic. Like you can have your teaching qualification, but the next hurdle is getting yeah. experience. So things like internship, job sharing, volunteering. Yeah. volunteering. So I love that you said that, look, I had to do it for six months. You know, I had to take a knock on my salary because it was an internship. But as soon as you finish your six months, you're like, I'm out. That's yeah. all I needed. I'm now on paper. I look amazing. So I love, yeah. I love that you said that as well. You know, and it's very, and I remember at the time discussing with some friends, you know, it was, a, you know, for me, again, it was a big decision to make. Um, <laughs> let's 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 backtrack of where I started with a, a permanent job offer in France. And all of a sudden, like five years later, yes, I speak English <laughs> very well. However, I'm going to do another internship. First of all, I had to go back to school like as if I didn't do enough degrees in France. And then I'm like, oh, let let me do another internship. But I was very determined in where I wanted to get. And I'm not saying that my path was the right path. Let's not forget that the power of relationship does help in directing the direction of your career. Mm. Like it or not, I didn't grow up in London. My network was limited to the network of people I had met in the five years that I was there. 
and we we we, we tend to forget that um it goes a long way to know the right people at the right places. And at the time, let's be honest, I wasn't very transparent or inversed in the ability to network. That, that, that knowledge of like, okay, who do I want to be, you know, in my circle that could help me and advocate for me going forward. I didn't have none of that. And I didn't have none of that when I moved to New York also. So for me, it's another kind of going back to that, you know, to, from the start when it, come, when it comes to that. So short of having you know the, the network the best thing i could do as i said was like okay get the education and uh, i did the internship and then I, I moved on and i got the job that i wanted to have in a larger corporation which again three years later allowed me to move to new york so it was maybe a longer road to what i wanted to do compared to some of my peers that just had gone to business school and work in marketing I have asked myself all this time, like, why didn't I just go to business school after at university instead of <laughs> instead of studying cosmetic science? But as I said, I didn't have a 10 years plan, 15 years plan, 20 years plan. At the time, I wanted to work in the beauty industry. I wanted to learn how to make beauty products and I got myself to do that. And then how you transition after that is the steps that you take, the sacrifices that you have to make, you know, from a salary level, living in another country and all of that, that gets you to where you want to be. So there's many roads into getting to higher places. Like you said, path that you took then is what you could see. It's so different now with technology. You didn't have those connections. There's that phrase, it's not what you know, it's who you know. And I always remember that back then. That's how people get through the doors. You're like, how did they get that job? It's because they, they had connections. Yeah. So you had to work your way around it mm-hmm. um, the best way possible. Great thing now is that we've now got the beauty of building our own personal brand, being online, exactly. networking. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be the same path. So those that are listening and thinking, oh my God, I'm kind of similar to Sandra. You're probably... 10 steps ahead of Sandra because you now have the beauty of social media. We have we can now all be influencers yeah. in our own expertise and get and and be visible to some aspect where someone will pick you up and see what you're doing. So very right, you know, using all these tools that are available to us today. When back in the day, you and I had to be physically introduced to somebody and be in the same room for enough time for them to even pay attention, you know, while now you still have to do the same thing, but in different ways. And yeah, as you say, like platform like LinkedIn, Instagram, social media helps to portray your own brand that people can see without even having to speak to you. So that is what you do online do matter a lot, specifically if you have ambition and career aspirations. Yeah, you have to utilize it. And I think when me and Sanjay um, worked at the company that we worked for, um, I think I stayed uh, there for another four years. And after I left there, I then went into technically marketing. It's so weird. Yeah. So from therapist to marketing. So I've been doing marketing for eight years now. Um, so even when I talk to people now, even with the advance in marketing and the advance with technology, people are still fearful of using it. I'm like, well, you better get on board. This is how we are now found. This is how recruiters are looking for us that are checking our um, our digital footprint. So yeah, social media, technology is so important. We know you were um, in the UK for a number of years and you said with the job that you got after um, your internship, that is the job that helped you to 
that took you to New York. So what happened there? So, yeah, so the job I had after my uh, internship actually wasn't quoted job. It was with a small organization. So I worked for a small organization of around 20 people on the brand side. I was an international brand manager for a skincare brand. And I developed, you know, the brand, the products, the international expansion. I had a great time during that during that time. I was traveling around all over the world. It was a great job. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. At that time, again, I'm, personally, I think that any career move that I do is a three-year story. I think that everybody should look at changing their job in some capacity every three years. That's something that I've learned from like previous bosses that I had from mentors. Uh, you know, you need to get yourself out there, out of your comfort zone, challenge yourself in what you can do and, and, and develop as much skills that you can you know and and that's that's the way i see things so some people are in their job for like 10 15 20 years and that's good for them it's just not me mm. so i was like okay what what's going to be my next step after three years i kind of felt a little bit accomplished at the time i'm like okay you know i left school i you know i did my i did my learn english i had multiple degrees in different countries i worked in different countries i took a career break in between where you know i was able to to, to do something that was very dear to my heart and i'm like what's the next step i'm like i want to work for a large organization i've never had experience working for a large global corporation so off i went and started to apply for roles for the Unilevers and the PNG of the world. And yeah, it's it's yet again another story. <laughs> it is that, you know, you feel like you do all the right thing. And it's here, it's definitely a game of, you know, again, who you know, which I didn't know anybody. My network hadn't by that time, unfortunately, expanded into all of these places. Um, I had few contacts, but the ones that I leveraged did not allow me to kind of, you know, jump into a particular role. Um, so at that time, after like, you know, maybe six months of search and starting to think like, oh, okay, there's nothing really I can apply to in this larger corporation, I took more time to really refocus on the transferable skills, what this organization work on that I can, you know, teach myself. And so I educated myself a lot on additional marketing knowledge, not through a degree, but just for my personal um, understanding on how these organizations function, their competitor sets and, you know, who, which brand is in the organization to start with that you want to focus on. You walk into the world of Coty or Unilever, they have 50 beauty brands, right? So is it skincare you want to do? Is it makeup? Is it, you know, fragrance? You know, you, you start to have to be a little bit more definitive in like in your search and start to be more focused in the way you apply. So eventually I found a job. I was like, okay, what is my biggest strength? International development. I can, I can go and work with pretty much a lot of different countries. I have developed that ability to work across culture or across different languages in discussing and building businesses with people. So I applied for a job, which I, again, at the time had no idea existed, that was in uh, global trade marketing. Oh, wow. So larger organizations have teams that they call trade marketing teams, which are focused on developing relationship with the different countries within the organization and help them to build the strategy of the brands that they own. So it was a role for which the Coty had a gap 
for somebody to manage uh, North America and LATAM. That position had become available in some capacity. However, it wasn't a full-time job. So they had combined that position with another aspect that was very different, that was all about communication and brand equity. I had virtually zero experience in, in that space, right? They wanted somebody to manage the communication tools that were going out to launch a product. TV advertisement, print advertisement. This is another level of marketing that I knew mm. about and had never done anything in that. So I went into the interview and I focused a lot on my strengths on the other side. I was very transparent in terms of like, okay, my knowledge on the other aspect of the job, communication and equity on what I knew. But by that time, I had done so much research about the market, the competitive set that I could talk about a lot of the brands, even though I didn't work for them, I kind of knew the type of products that they had, the type of communication that they had. Did they do TV? Did they not? Did they do print and all of that? And I think that contributed to the, the trust that she's like, okay, well, you know, she, she knows her shit. She has it, you know, yes, she's mm. never done that job, but she also knows it enough. Yeah. And uh, so this is how I got the job at Coty, having two completely different scope, which is was fascinating to me uh was very hard i'm not gonna lie uh i have i i don't know if i describe myself as a high achiever but i definitely have some level of determination and being able to succeed i love this i feel like if i was young and i was listening to you i'd be like taking notes because what you've done even you know go back to when you was in France and you knew what the skills gap, the experience gap that you had, and then you now have this experience and you're like, but I don't have this experience in this particular trade. So those that are looking at jobs are like, I don't have the experience. You went and did your research. Yeah. You're like, okay, I don't know how to do that, but I'm going to get to understand these companies, get to understand what all these aspects are so that you could confidently on paper and visually talk, talk about it. So they were like, oh, you know what? you know we might give this girl a, a try and that's the whole thing is because they could see they could yeah. they could see the potential yeah it's yeah it's and it's what it comes down to and that's very interesting what you say i do mentoring also through an organization called black women in uh, in network career networking and i i talk to a couple of people who generally wants to pivot their 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 their, their career from again from completely different industries and i'm like Listen, first, let's focus on the transferable skills, right? What is it? Identify jobs you want to do and let's start looking at transfer, transferable skills. That's the number one. Number second is like, how do you integrate through your resume knowledge of an industry that you never worked on? And for me, this is when, as you said, the social media of the world are going to help you. You can, I said, you know, educate yourself start feeding into your uh, online platform knowledge of the industries that you want to work in. Because if you never worked in beauty, if you're not capable of articulating who are the top three beauty brands in the world, you're going to have a hard time. It's going to be hard for you to get into the interview, but let alone when you get there, if you have nothing to say about beauty, it's going to be hard. And I said, there is a lot of things you can do on your resume to start showing like volunteering opportunity, memberships that you may have within the industry that you want to, uh, to operate in. You know, knowledge that you can integrate within your resume that gives people enough interest to even click 
on your LinkedIn. Mm. By the time they click on your LinkedIn, if they are not bombarded with knowledge of, you know, or interest of that industry you want to be in, you're going to have a very hard time. At mm. that point, it's going to be who you know, and good luck to you if you know somebody, good for you. But if you don't, which has been my case, majority of my career, you just have to make it happen for yourself. So you've gone to New York. When did you take the career break? So I took a career break um, in 2009, uh, just uh, just in the middle of the credit crunch, which was another like long conversation with people <laughs> that I know you have a full-time job. Uh, why, do, why is that the time? I just I just had a very strong personal interest in wanting to uh, to volunteer uh, to to have more positive impact in uh, in, in places uh, where skills and times are required uh, for you know developments and and everything else. Um, so it's, it took again it was an eighteen months in the making of me to prepare for that career break, and I was not going to let the credit crunch change my plan. Like literally, that that's what happened. So uh, I saved money to to see myself through the volunteering time, which was four months in total, plus an additional two months that it will take me to uh, to come back to London. Um, and I resigned. I sublet in my apartment. You know, it's it's all about preparation. Again, think, prepare for, you know, prepare for everything that you can and have a couple of options when things go wrong. I was able to sublet my apartment, but the question was like, what happened if I couldn't? I still have to pay rent. I didn't want to give up my apartment, but you, I could just have done that, right? So, so yeah. So I went away. I volunteer with a with an international organization, and because I'm career focused, my personal uh, goals needed to also align. I'm like, okay, what can I bring to the table? Depending on the volunteer organization I want to volunteer with, I chose an organization again that had an international focus. Uh, so I traveled to Malaysia for three, for nearly four months. I chose an organization that will build my managerial skills. So I went in as a volunteer manager, managing a team of 10, 12 people on different charity projects. It's so again, something that you can showcase on your next interview. Uh, the organization also had uh, a very strong aspect on personal development, not just for myself, but also for the people that I manage. So mm. it brings a lot of, you know, soft skills in terms of like building teams and understanding and working with colleagues and all these kind of things. So all around, again, I'm, you know, I know it seems that I don't do anything with nothing in mind, but pretty much so. If I'm going to invest my time and effort and make the sacrifices, then it's for me to be an end goal. Both mm. personal, sometimes it's just personal, and sometimes it's professional, and sometimes it's a function of like, can I combine both? Yeah. So I took that break and then I came back. And funny you mentioned that because one of the first interview I went to, I was challenged. The person is like, well, you know, you went away for four months and here you are looking for a job. You don't have a job and everything else. I mean, you know, what kind of planning is that? And I said, actually, it's very good planning because I was able to save some money, identify the organization I want to work with. These are the additional skills that I developed that will also contribute to my next job. And uh, and here I am looking for a job and I didn't need to move back with my parents. I still live in France and I'm in London supporting myself. So as far as I'm concerned, again, you know, any career breaks that you want to take will bring some benefit to the next job that you're going to. Mm. It's a function of how do you present it to the the next employer what did you do during that time and god forbid you may have decided to take some time to stay home whatever you decide to do 
just again look into it and uh, and, and and make a story that works for your next employer and that's all you need to do like you said you know when they challenged you about that break you said well I did it for this reason but these are the skills that I gained during it and no one could ever say anything against that. You're like, okay, she's actually, she wasn't just sitting at home doing nothing because we, we know with organisations, when they're looking at your CV, those gaps is a major thing. I worked in HR for a bit and I remember when we, when we looked at people's CVs, like, hold on, why was that six months? Then why did you have a break for six months? So mm-hmm. as long as you can back it up with why you're doing what you're doing and what you've learned and gained mm-hmm. in that time, I think it's, um, it's a great way to answer it. Mm-hmm. I want to move forward into your business. So you're in New York. You working for this organization. Yeah. Where did it come for you to go, okay, I'm gonna start my own business? I know, you know, it's something that I've I had in my head for when I was in London, even. Uh, and interestingly enough, two years ago, I opened one of my favorite books, which is called Feel the Fear and Do It Anywhere. And as I opened the book, a piece of paper fell out, and it was actually one of my first business ideas that I had written like 10 years before that, about a beauty brand. I wanted to do like, you know, customize skincare and all of that. And we've seen that coming coming out in the market. I'm like, damn, I should have. Uh, but um, but yeah, but I, I've always had that, that feeling within me that I have it in me to be able to become an entrepreneur and one day run my own company. Um, I just wasn't ready. Life took me other direction, personal, professional, and uh, I stayed somehow in a in a in a in a cruise direction, which wasn't that smooth. But I stayed like you know within my lane of what I was I was gaining, and um, so now I decided that I had accumulated enough physical assets. <laughs> a lot enough saving to to be able to again that that fear of like you know lack of security is still very present for for me um so it was important for me to get to a stage where i'm like okay i don't have to worry about xyz and um i've worked in beauty and uh all my life i've done all categories skincare makeup fragrance i've never done hair care uh, I have a particular interest in hair care like most people uh, most black women uh, i have grown up you know relaxing my hair and at some point I've decided I didn't want to do that so it was also an education for me and then when I start again like everybody else looking on like okay what's out there so I can take care of my hair then it becomes highly problematic Mm. so beyond the the products which uh, are hard to find uh, much better these days right but you know back in the day it was very difficult Um, that was maybe seven years ago Um, and having a good understanding of what I should do with my hair and I've noticed over time that well actually there are good products if you take the time to look for them and I'm like so the problem is in the products but mostly it's in the access of the product that is made available to the consumer. I started to pay more attention to retail experience and what does it mean for us? Why am I, Why is it so hard for me to go and shop my category? Why do I have to go to six different locations and then do all of that research online? Why do I have to do all of that? And I'm like, there has to be a better way for people like me to shop the haircut category. It's a billion dollars industry across multiple markets, there is many, many black women who must be struggling with the same problems that I have. Yes, we are so used to go and buy 
some product into you know corner store other products into other place and now when you want to be mindful about your ingredients choice and formula you then have to go online and do the research yourself and fine you know i'm educated in, in that space but it's not that simple for everybody else and mm. so i decided i wanted to create a retail destination i could have made a product in still something that is at the back of my head, but I generally think that the biggest gap is into the environment in which our products are sold in. And even more so in the US, um, I think like Europe is a little bit more advanced when it comes to uh, access of particular brands. In the US, it's very, very difficult for brands to access the retail environment. Oh, and, oh, yeah, yeah. and this is when I was like, okay, I want to create a retail solution, an online uh, an online destination, maybe one day a brick and a mortar, who knows? But this is my focus, how to bring, how to make it easy for people like me to shop. I want to be able to buy everything from one place. I want to trust that the brands are safe for me to use. I want to be able to educate myself on my hair. I want to be able to choose from the different hairstyles that I, I wear on a yearly basis. And this is how I started my curl ID. I decided like, okay, I have to start somewhere. Let's start putting like a platform online with the knowledge and the products that I have. And then the question is, how do I build from there? It's almost like this one-stop shop that you can yeah. go to from the beginning to the end. It's not like you're just going to go and buy a product. You're going to be educated. You're going to be, because um, even for me, like, you know, similar to what you're saying, I think probably similar for a lot of us black women. When when we're younger, we're just known, we're just told, just relax your hair, just do this. And I mm -hmm. feel like this generation, what I love about this generation is that they're so empowered. They're so much more empowered now than we were about looking after their natural hair and knowing about ingredients that are not good for us where we knew, but we didn't know, we didn't have options back then. So you just picked up whatever you could pick up. In my mind, my curl idea, like you said, is all about empowering women with textured at Nafro hair and inspire them to, to venture out and do things differently. To, to, to do things differently and to trust that they can, that there is out there products and brands that wants to support them to actually embrace their hair whichever way they want to 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 wear it and that place where there is no judgment if you want to relax your hair it's not for me to tell you that you shouldn't and whatever do it in the safest way possible let me give you the tool to allow you to do that if you want to color your hair if you want to grow your hair all of that i shouldn't be you know the, whatever styles you want to wear locks micro locks braids and you know all of these you should be able to, to do that you shouldn't have to be judged specifically, you know, in America, there has been a lot of issue with, you know, black women in the workplace and, you know, and their hair, right? It's a topic of conversation that never, that doesn't seem to go away. Point is that, as you say, we need to empower, empower women, you know, regardless of their age, to just feel comfortable with whatever they, they want. Mm. And I think that today the retail environment is kind of picking and choosing what it is that they want certain women to do with their hair. Mm. So we're starting to see places of much more elevated consumer experience, the lack of Sephora, the lack of Ulta, uh, the lack of Target in the US, who are starting, of course, to enter that category, right? They don't do it out of glory. They do it because there is money to be made. And I want to be very clear. Yes, they want to support own small businesses. Yes, they want to support Black-owned businesses. Yes, within this organization, people have a vision and they want to as they want to be part of that mm. but no organization wants to be part of that if there is no money to be made 
So yeah. let's be very clear that there is significant amount of money to be made in that industry from a product yeah. perspective and retail environment perspective. And we should be driving that. Yeah. There is enough knowledge and skills within our community to be able to do so. Yeah. There is no reason why we couldn't we couldn't open our, our own retail environment that offers the same level of retail experience, quality of products, and expectation. And specifically, as I said, it's if you go into these places these days, you're gonna find a lot of products directed for curly, coily, textured hair. Not all of them are black owned, black owned mm. or even black funded. But you know, I'm not saying that we have to. You know, again, mm. it's based on the consumer choice. But if they wanted to, they are limited by a number of like what six, eight brands, mm. which is not enough for a person to build their regimen. If that brand doesn't work for their hair, then where do they have to go? The level of choice is limited. As a black woman, most likely, and I'm doing a survey at the moment that I, I'll send the link to for people who want to uh, participate, is going to wear six, seven different hairstyles. They're going to have their hair natural, then they're going to do braids, then they're going to wear wigs for six weeks because they want to, they go on vacation, they do a different style. And these places do not cater to all the styles that they want to wear. So as I like to tell people, until Sephora and Ulta start selling wigs, the experience is never going to be complete. Mm. Because as a black woman, yes, you want to buy your shampoo. Yes, you want to buy your conditioner. But you also need to buy breads. You also want to yeah. buy accessories. You also want to pick beads. And I feel like they're picking and choosing the type of products because they want to associate their consumer to a type, a certain style. Yes. Yeah. If I don't sell locks in my place, well, people who wear locks are not going to come here to shop that category. So I think that they're... I feel like there is a picking and choosing game that is being done in the retail environment today that is limiting the type of people who sh shop and also limiting for somebody what they can shop in that in that in that category. So with Michael ID, what what impact do you want it to have for our industry? The impact I want to have is to is for people to understand that if you want to cater for black woman hair, it has to be more than just a product. Mm -hmm. And I think that today it's very much so product focus. I'm gonna give you a basic example. I can go many brands offers ways online to try on makeup and lipstick, right? I can go and try on makeup and lipstick, no problem. If you understand really what black women goes through with their hair, you should know that within one year, I'm going to wear a ponytail, which I do today. I'm going to have my natural hair. I want a blowout. I may have like a silk press. I may do braids. I may want to try different things. Why is it that I can't do that online today for that? Because today, all they do is focusing on the product. There is some focus on the founder story. So we see more and more, as I said, they want to showcase that they're supporting like small business and black owned business. But I want the impact I want to have is to understand that for black women, hair is not just about the product. It's about the education that is still very limited in these places. You can ask, you know, you walk in there and you're like, oh, yeah, my hair is X, Y, and Z. What do you think I should recommend? And they just give you whatever brand is promoting, is giving them incentives that week. And let's be very transparent. And it's not the lack of wanting. It's just I don't think the education is there. Yeah. It's not the focus when you walk into these places. It's hard to ask the right question. They don't have the expertise because they are not being educated. So... Again, it's not just about the product. It's about the product that works for my hair at that particular time. So if you have breads and you walk into 
one of his places and ask them, well, I'm wearing my bread at the moment. What do you think I should do? Because I'm starting to feel like my scalp is a bit sore at the back. They have no idea. Mm-hmm. They don't sell bread, you know. So the, the, the whole, I, I really want the whole experience to be delivered for our community because, mm-hmm. as I said, we deserve it. We spend the most money within that hair, within that category of products, and there are enough people within the community to make that happen. It's about how do we bring everybody together and make it. There is a lot of like you know very educated black women, black men within the beauty industry, within the retail industry, within the digital industry. If you know, I'm not an expert in everything. I know products, I know retail, I know beauty, but I have gaps. And for me, yeah. it's about finding these people and associating with the people that can fill the gaps to deliver the visions that I want. What you just made me think is it's really about the education side, right? So you're talking about hair and obviously my expertise was skin, right? So even when I think back to being a beauty therapist and Mm -hmm. like you actually did a lot of different qualifications because I wasn't that impressed with some of the places that I went to. And even when I did all the qualifications and all aspects of skincare, there wasn't enough, even on black skin, you know, we always had that yeah. typical dry, sensitive, and what we know black skin's different, just like black hair is so different. So I think it really stems from education uh, that, and it has to be the education even before, the education for those people that own the retail stores, the education for the brands, um, yeah. even the education for hairstylists. You know, it stems from their qualification, their understanding, because they can treat a curly hair, blonde hair, if it gets dry, they dye their hair. Why can't they then educate us when it comes Mm -hmm. to, you know, or help us and provide um, the insights on how to look after braids after a couple of weeks, how to look after hair that's been dyed or coloured. So. Yeah, but and, and, and also it's very much about, as we know, within our community, hair is not just hair. There is a, you know, everything has been done with a purpose, you know, in terms of like how hair are braided, the type of, you know, hair you want to wear, how you want to wear it. So much innovation have come within the community to develop wigs and wigs and all of that. But for some reason, it just seems that it doesn't expand into the world of like, okay, when we talk about hard cash and money, it's like who is making the money out of a whole industry that was created by the community. Mm. So, you know, and there is, you know, and there is a, a very strong community aspect as, you know, as you may remember, you know, me doing my hair when I was a child, it was family member doing my hair and you share stories and you talk and it's the same when you go to salon these days, right? I go to the African salon in Harlem and yes, you know, I feel, I, I feel like home. I feel like, you know, going home and having my hair done. And yes, sometimes there are some practices that are very annoying. I'm not going to lie. But this is the point, right? It's it's yeah. about building that gap between the experience that we want to have as a community with how can we elevate that to the level of what is today available to provide yeah. that same experience, but in an elevated aspect. And it's not yeah. just when you go to the salon, it's across everything that you do with your hair and be celebrated for it rather than picking and choosing this product, but not this one, this yeah. brand, but not this one. It just, it doesn't work. But it's been an incredible, insightful conversation. I so much for sharing your journey through the beauty industry, your career transition. And what I love, what I hope people are taking away from this is that when you're looking at career transitioning or going to different countries, looking for particular roles, there's things that you have to do. Sometimes your education 
is not enough. Sometimes the experience that particular country is not enough. You've got to look at the country that you're going into and what you need to stand out, what you need to be able to get that foot in the door. But before you go, I wanted to find out from you your advice that or words of wisdom that you would like to leave our listeners, especially those who may be looking to make bold career changes or go to different countries. What is your advice to them? I mean, my advice, uh, as I said, is is about preparation. I can't, I can't, I can't repeat that more. Leverage your network if you have it. Don't be scared to ask. Don't be scared to ask for help specifically and ask questions. Some people may not choose, may choose not to answer, as it has happened to me when I was discussing, like you know, salary level in the US. Uh, like it or not, people haven't been open to tell me what could be, you know, the highest salary bracket that I could have when I moved to the US. And I'm not going to lie, I was underpaid for many years because of that. Um, The question is like, what else could could I have done at the time to have to understand, to negotiate better? So that's why don't be scared to ask questions. Don't be scared to ask for what you want. Uh, And it's all about how you ask. And if you ask it in a very, you know, respectful way, coming from a vulnerable place, people might be more inclined to help and support you and if you do not have the network do as much research as possible identify the gaps that there is between where you want to go and where you are today and make a plan to fill these gaps and if if, if, if the plan is to have somebody in your network that can help you do that identify that person and just go after them and try to find a way to be in touch and you know i'm never going to repeat that enough i do that and i practice that today I talk to people all the time about what I want and about uh, what I'm interested in, and I learn. And be, you know, you need to be open to be vulnerable with people, sharing part of your story that is disconnected to your end goal, so people can relate to you a little bit more. And um, and you need to be able to take feedback, which sometimes may come across as criticism if we're not prepared for it and be like, oh, she doesn't know what she's talking about. Well, really, does she not? Because she's in the position that you want to achieve. So maybe maybe she's wrong here, but maybe there is something that you're not seeing in what that person is telling you. So mm-hmm. you have to be open, uh, open-minded, open to to change, open to challenge yourself, and open to, to really read and understand what people are trying to tell you, even if it hurts. Yeah, love that. And it's not over until it's over, so just keep... Keep going after what you want and be willing to change how you're going to get there. Sandra, you are a powerhouse. You inspire me. I just love all the things that you've done to get to where you are. You're determined. You're focused. You're very inspiring. I just wanted to share that with you. Tell our listeners where they can connect with you online. So they can connect with me the easiest way is on LinkedIn. I'm not going to lie. My LinkedIn is uh, Sandra Petroipa. I have multiple uh, social media channels that I build for my brand. Uh, Michael ID on Instagram. Uh, I have a Pinterest page also and a TikTok page. But if you want to get in touch with me directly, LinkedIn is easier for me to kind of follow up on on messages and uh, and reply. All of this information will be in the show notes. And also, Sandra has a special 20% discount code for those that are also interested. So we're going to put all of that in the show notes as well. But thank you so much, Sandra, for being such an inspiring guest on I'm No Rookie. And to our listeners, remember, 
you're no rookie in this game. If you want to start out something fresh, if you want to pivot, if you want to go into a new career or into a new country, I hope that you've got some great insights from Sandra today. So again, thank you, Sandra, for joining us. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you.